This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster back after a lengthy stretch away, as always, along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. We have a lot to cover this week. The Arizona Fall League winding down. We'll preview the championship game coming up this weekend. We'll talk about who has really shined in the desert this fall. We'll also talk about what teams can put together the best package for Giancarlo Stanton. We'll look ahead to who could be a Rookie of the Year in 2018, since the 2017 awards were given out this week. And then finally, we'll touch on, yep, Jerry DePoto. He's at it again. Two trades in two days early on in the hot stove season. It never stops with the Seattle Mariners making moves. But we want to start with the AFL. And, Jim, you're out in Arizona right now. Uh, you'll be there for the championship game. It's Mesa and Peoria. Can you just kind of set the stage for that one and what people can expect to see in this year's championship? Yeah, and it's kind of nice. I mean, we're getting the two, I think, most prospect-loaded teams uh, in the championship game, which, which will make for more fun to watch. I mean, the three highest-ranked prospects in our top 100 are going to be in that game. All outfielders, Victor Robles and Kyle Tucker for Mesa and, and Ronald Acuna for the Braves. Um, I think we're going to have as many as five former first-round picks in the lineups on Saturday. Um, we should have a sixth on the mound with uh, T.J. Zoik, uh, I believe, is in line to pitch for Peoria. Um, so it should be a really exciting broadcast. I mean, from a, a prospect watcher standpoint, these are the two teams that you were hoping would make it. Uh, my only disappointment is it looks like Logan Shore is going to pitch today. I'm a I'm a Logan Shore fan, and I was hoping we'd get Logan Shore versus T.J. Zoic, but uh, it's, it should be a lot of fun to watch. When you get to this championship game, obviously there's only six teams out there, so you have a pretty good chance of actually making the championship game. And, and as most people that are listening to this podcast know, each team is broken up into different major league teams and their prospects. But, Jonathan, once you get to a championship, for these players, it's still a championship, right? I mean, they're going to go out there in that game and, and – play for something knowing that that something's on the line oh without question uh and i think uh, jim it was your story you had uh uh was it walter lockett who was like listen we're here we made it we might as well try to win the thing you know it, it's certainly not uh the primary focus for most of the fall you know especially if you have guys working on things trying new positions things like that but listen they've all been competing forever uh, you know, at, at a very high level. I, I don't think any of them know how not to try to win. Um, you know, I don't think they lose any sleep over losing fall league games over the course of the regular season. But, yeah, when, once those teams clinch, uh, they're all in. Uh, you know, it's not like an all-hands-on-deck where pitchers are going to pitch on short rest and things of that nature. But you'll see how... Uh, I, I've always felt, and it's been a couple of years since I've been out at the championship game, the, the way our schedules have worked out. Jim has been the one who's been out there. But, uh, you know, it's it's very low-key throughout the fall league. You know, you're on the field. We could be on the field talking to players up until 20 minutes before the game starts. 
I've always noticed the championship game that there's a slightly different vibe uh, for, for that game uh, because uh, you, you get a chance to, to, to win a ring and winning a championship wherever you are, doesn't, you don't get that opportunity all that often. And I think all the, all the players and the coaching staff recognize that. All right, let's talk about the Fall League as a whole and, and who's kind of stood out for you guys. Maybe if you each have a couple of guys that have really stood out, maybe a pick for MVP. If you had to name an MVP going into this championship, Jim, uh, who would you say this year? I think it's going to be Ronald Acuna. I mean, he has, he's leading or close to the lead in a variety of categories. I think he's the best prospect out there, so you kind of – it's kind of like last year when Glaber Torres won it. You know, you, you not only is he the best player, he's the best prospect. And when you're looking back years later, it looks kind of cool that these guys won the award. I'd, I'd be surprised it wasn't Ronald Acuna. And I also realized, Tim, I'm, I'm be, I was remiss. I, I should mention, because the game is going to be on national TV, we should throw this information in here. Saturday's championship game will be at 3 p.m. Eastern, broadcast live on MLB Network and MLB.com. I was actually getting ready to share that exact information, but you beat me to it. Good stuff. Um, do you agree, Jonathan, when you look at uh, as a whole, uh, Acuna's been the guy out there in Arizona? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Uh, you know, there are other guys who've had really, really good seasons, and if there were a you know non-big prospect name who was head and shoulders better than Acuna, um, then I would say that that guy should get the MVP because it's not it's not a prospect award um his his peoria teammate eric uh, philia from the mariners has had a really really good fall league and you know better batting average slightly better ops but um you know acuna with the he's got the homer edge the runs batted in edge i mean all, everything and then you add in the the uh prospect nature of it and i think to me he, he is the guy uh, who should win, oh, and his defense uh, as well at all three outfield positions. So if I were voting, uh, and I'm not, uh, he would be the guy that I would choose as well. It is cool when it's a prospect like that, and you mentioned Glaber Torres last year. It's not always that way. Sometimes a guy just has such a great fall, even though he's not necessarily a, a big-time prospect. But, Jonathan, you also got to work on a feature story that we're going to have coming out, I think, very soon in the next few days on Acuna. Um Seems like a really interesting guy. Um, his dad was a was a good ball player, um, and and he's obviously better. Yeah, his dad and his grandfather. Uh, his grandfather was a, was a, a pitching prospect who, evidently, uh, according to the informal reports that we got uh, from uh, largely from Luis Salazar, uh, who is Acuna's manager uh, in the fall league and was his manager in the minor leagues this season. Um, Salazar played with. Acuna's grandfather and managed his father uh, in winter ball. So the grandfather threw mid to upper 90s and then hurt his elbow. And that was before, you know, Tommy John surgery and things of that nature. So he was done. Uh, the dad played for a long time, was playing, you know, not that long ago. Uh, we talked to him. He came to, to visit in the fall league uh, as luck would have him. We talked to him and, I mean, he looked like he could still play. Uh, you know, he, he's young. He's only 38, I think. So, um, but uh, yes, Acuna, the the this Ronald Acuna, the the young one, is, is much better than his dad. Much to his dad's delight, um, and uh, yeah, it was an interesting feature to, to to put together in terms of talking to him about you know three generations and the two previous ones never getting to the big leagues. While this one, 
uh, at age now, you know, is only 19, is, is ready to knock on that big league door next year. Yeah, what so- I don't understand, Jonathan, is for a guy who's as toolsy as Ronald Acuna is, who had a dad who played and grew up around the game, why this guy wasn't a bigger deal internationally. You know, at the time, I mean, he signed for $100,000. I mean, the story, I think Baseball America had it when they named him their player of the year, was he woke up on signing day thinking he was going to sign for the Royals and the Braves offered him a little bit more money. But it just kind of boggles my mind a little bit. I mean, this isn't, you know, his dad wasn't Vladimir Guerrero, you know, future Hall of Famer like Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s dad was. But I'm just, and I don't, you neither, you know, I cover a lot of international stuff. I'd be curious to know why a toolsy guy who grew up around the game is pretty advanced for his age wasn't a bigger deal, you know, on the international scene when he was eligible. Because, I mean, getting that guy for $100,000 looks like one of the recent, you know, best steals in, in amateur acquisition uh, memory. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. Uh, if he continues on this trajectory and there has been absolutely nothing to say otherwise, I think it will go down as one of the as one of the, the, the biggest bargain signings uh, in the history of the international market. And I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe the family protected him. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, he's still so young, so it's not like, well, you know, when they were looking at him, he was yeah. uh, lacked strength and things like that. It's not, there hasn't been six years where it just took him a while to, to come into his own. But, you know, it happens It happens every once in a while where these guys fly under the radar. The fact that he came from a baseball family and flew under the radar, I agree, that's really surprising. Uh, Braves fans, keep an eye out for that feature coming to MLB.com. It'll also be on Pipeline.com. I think in the next 48 hours or so that should be out. Um, so something to look forward to. It's coming out uh, really well. How about pitching, Jim? Um, does the pitcher stand out to you? Well, I think that the best pitcher statistically – it's probably been Max Fried, and unfortunately, Max Fried's last start was in the military appreciation game last uh, Saturday, so he's done. But uh, you know, it's still the best you know starting pitcher I've seen out here. Well, I saw him on my first trip it was Albert Abreu, where he had three plus pitches a day. I saw him and looked really, really good. And uh, you know, I think the highest ranked pitcher out here has been Mitch Keller. And I mean, I'll be honest, the guy who who just fascinates me. I I've seen him twice now. Andres Munoz of the Padres, you know, I've seen him one night. First night he got up to 102. Last night he was up to 100. And he throws like a 88, 90-mile-an-hour slider that looks like a fastball and then just takes an abrupt left turn at the plate. And He's listed at 18. He's the youngest guy in the league. I'm a little curious as to why you would send an 18-year-old who's pitched three innings in full season ball to Arizona Fall League. But regardless of what his age may or may not be, his his stuff is just insane, uh, and I'm hoping we get to see him again on Saturday. How about you, Jonathan? Anybody when you were down there stand out on the mound? Yeah, it's funny because I think Jim and I both saw a Brave versus Keller matchups. Do I remember that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think yeah. you saw Keller better, and, and I saw a Brave. I saw better. Keller better. Yeah, a Brave struggled with his command when I when I saw him, uh, but he's been very good. Uh, Keller hasn't missed a ton of bats, uh, but the I saw him twice, and both times he was very good. That that Keller Abreu matchup, he threw 49 pitches over five innings, got an eight ground ball out, something like that. It was it was really really good. And he was uh, clearly working on his off speed stuff uh, and to to great effect. So uh, it's nice when you you know one of the few sort of top ranked pitching prospects goes, and then 
performs like one of the top pitching prospects and uh, we hadn't really had a chance to to see Keller pitch in person so so, so that was good you freed they've been very good um, got to give a little shout out to, to Mickey Janice just because knuckleball you know um, but uh, uh, he, he's been really really good I saw one of his starts and it was just funny um, because you could tell that the uh, the team he was pitching against wanted no part of of having to to try to hit that uh, when you're trying to catch up to you know 95 plus from everybody else uh, in, in the fall league um, I think the one under the radar guy they're always relievers that like you don't hear much about uh, but uh, Jim I had asked you about this I think you know not on podcast about Cody Carroll uh, of the Yankees who was creating a lot of a lot of us not throwing 100 plus miles an hour Jordan Hicks of the Cardinals I guess hit 102 uh, yesterday or the day before. Uh, Cody Carroll's in the Yankees system, kind of funky arm action, uh, mid-topper 90s, but uh, two hits in 11 and two-third innings, no, no runs and 18 strikeouts. And was at everybody I talked to, um, from catchers who caught him to hitters who tried to hit him, said he was absolutely filthy off fall. He was again last night, Jonathan. He pitched another scoreless inning. And I think at this point, it's, I think he's given up two hits and struck out 18. Yeah. In 11 and two-thirds innings, and he's he's kind of like, who was it? Jared Miller of the Diamondbacks last year uh, was kind of that guy last year. But he, I mean, he's been the most untouchable reliever all fall. All right, some of the guys who were participating in the AFL this season could be contenders for Rookie of the Year in 2018. I want to get into some of your favorites for Rookie of the Year award next year. Before we get to that, though. We want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 411 podcast. It's never too early to start prepping for your 2018 fantasy draft and listening to the 411 with Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach. They can give you an edge no matter what format you play. One recent episode broke down the 2018 fantasy outlooks for various World Series notables like George Springer and Rich Hill, along with fantasy implications for the top tier of free agent pitchers. Draft season will be here before you know it, so subscribe to the Fantasy 411 podcast on Apple Podcasts today. Obviously, Ronald Acuna is a guy that will be in the discussion. Uh, Jonathan, you have an article on Pipeline right now about 2018 Rookie of the Year contenders. Uh, A year ago, maybe we would have talked about Cody Bellinger with a possibility, although there was no clear path to playing time for him a year ago. I don't think Aaron Judge would have really been in the discussion with the way he performed late in 2016. So you never know, but you put together a list anyway. Five guys in each league. You have Acuna in the NL along with Brinson, Walker Bueller, who would give the Dodgers their third in a row. Jack Flaherty, Victor Robles. Um, You know, just break down those guys. We know a lot about Acuna. How about the other guys as far as their chances of getting plenty of playing time? Sure. I will say, by the way, that Aaron Judge was on my uh, actual list a year ago. All right. Well, there you uh, go. And, and Bellinger was not so uh, <laughs> because of the playing time. And that, right. that's the toughest thing. People, you, you'd think on Twitter that, that there was you know, some science to this. Um, no, there, there's not. Uh, a lot of it has to do just with opportunity. Uh, you know, the Dodgers have a really – the pitching staff. So I don't know where Walker Bueller fits in, but if the opportunity presents itself and maybe we can go back to the days when the Dodgers seemed to win the rookie of the year every year. I remember back in, was it in the eighties? It was uh, 92 to 96. They won five in a row. Oh, there was that then too. I was going, I was going even further back to show you how old I am, but um, 
pitchers are hard to, to, to figure out. Um, you know, Acuna, we talked about Victor Robles is, uh, and I'm actually working on a, on another story where we polled players and executives, um, about who they like better. And uh, Acuna uh, has gotten a, a bit of an edge, but it's rel- relatively close. And, uh, you know, again, opportunity in the nationals outfield remains to be seen. Uh, but I like him, but if I'm going to pick one kind of of the, of the five that like doesn't wow you necessarily, it's Jack Flaherty uh, because he's just gotten quietly better every year, always had really good pitchability and the stuff has gotten better and better. Uh, and I think he's going to get every chance to be in that Cardinals rotation next year. So he's the guy that I, I'm kind of keeping an eye on as not necessarily the wow guy like Acuna, uh, who would be the front runner. Um, and like I said in the story, keep in mind that whichever league Shohei Otani signs in, he's the front runner. Ah, very good point. Very good point. All right. In the American League, and I'll let you t- touch on this one, Jim. Uh, these are the five that Jonathan lists in the article. Willie Adames of the Rays, Franklin Barreto of Oakland, who had some time up in 2017. Willie Calhoun with the Rangers also played late in the year. Brent Honeywell, we saw baffle people in the Futures game last year. And then Francisco Mejia, another guy who had a very good run in the AFL this year. Um, of those guys, anybody stand out? Yeah, it's interesting because I think a year ago, you know, Benintendi, Andrew Benintendi was the obvious guy who was our number one prospect. I don't know if there's a clear front runner here. I mean, to me, factoring an opportunity, expecting the Rays to maybe make some trades this offseason, Brent Honeywell would seem to have the best uh, combination of talent plus opportunity. Um, then again, if the Rays go into rebuilding process, and, and we all know that wins aren't the best way to judge a guy, you know, if Brent Honeywell goes seven and fifteen for a bad Rays team next year, I don't know if he wins the Rookie of the Year award. I don't think there's a clear guy here. Um, you know, Mejia. I haven't seen him really good at third base. I can't imagine that the Indians are going to put Francisco Mejia at third base next year, and I don't know if his catching's ready to where they'd give him a full-time job behind the plate and he'd get a bunch of at bats. Uh, you know, it might be Willie Calhoun. I mean, if Willie Calhoun gets the playing time. I could see Willie Calhoun hitting 20 or 25 home runs as a rookie, especially in Arlington. So it might be Willie Calhoun for me. Is that uh, is that pretty much sum up what you were thinking, Jonathan, when putting this list together? Yeah, I, I think it's fair. And, uh, you know, I got a lot you know, flack, quote-unquote flack, you know, that I didn't have Glaber Torres in the in the top five. And just just too many question marks for that. Now keep in mind that I think you know, in last year's story, uh, I didn't even have like an others to watch. I just had five and five. Only two of the ten, um, Judge and, and Ben Attendee, got votes of any kind in Rookie of the Year voting this year. So uh, it's more fun exercise to look at guys that might be poised to make an impact next year. We shouldn't, but uh, shouldn't take this article, put it out, and you know, run to Vegas to, to bet on Rookie of the uh, Rookie of the Year odds. More likely that people will just take the article and complain to you on Twitter. Correct. You didn't. You didn't have five Braves as your five National League <laughs> candidates, Jonathan. So uh, expect no, Braves but, Nation right. to be all over you. Two Ra- uh, two Rays, though. That's the one team that checked in with two. All right. Well, the biggest story, maybe aside from Otani, who we mentioned a little bit there, um, this off season as of now is whether or not Giancarlo Stanton is going to be traded by the Miami Marlins. Obviously, it's a big if because of that contract, his no-trade clause, the package that could be put together. 
it seems like four teams have kind of stolen most of the rumors so far. I'm sure there'll be mystery teams along the way. Uh, but as of now, you hear about the Cardinals, the Red Sox, the Giants, the Phillies. So I just wanted you guys to kind of weigh in on when you look at those teams from a package standpoint, do, does one or two of them really stand out as really being able to put together what we think the Marlins are looking for? And I think it's safe to assume the Marlins are looking for young pitching maybe over anything else. So uh, just looking at that, those teams, Jim, I'm, I mean, the Giants system, obviously, I think the weakest on paper, but anybody can get creative. But which of those teams do you think can, can really satisfy what the Marlins are looking for? No, I think you're right, and I do both our Giants and our, our Red Sox prospect list, and I, I, I have a hard time seeing what the Giants would package together that would blow the Marlins away. Although, to be honest, I mean, it depends on how many teams really make a serious offer because you know, the one thing we don't know is how much of the contract are other teams going to take on. You know, if, if say, just for argument's sake, the Giants are willing to take on the entire deal and not make the Marlins pick up any of it, then they don't have to give up as much as somebody who might want the, the, the Marlins to pick up a significant chunk. But if you're just looking at the systems, I, I don't really see how the Giants, especially if you're looking at pitching, are going to put something together. And I'd say that for the Red Sox, too. I, I just don't see you know, Stanton getting traded for you know, Jay Groom and, and Tanner Houck at the, at the front of a package or, or, or Stanton getting traded to the Giants for you know, Tyler Beattie, who, who's had a, a rough year, and, and say – you know, I'm trying to think of their next, you know, Andrew Suarez. I mean, that's not going to work. I, I think it probably, if those are our four teams, it comes down to the Cardinals or the Phillies. You know, I mean, to me, the Cardinals would be the front runner. You got Alex Reyes coming off Tommy John surgery, before which he was considered the best pitching prospect in the game. You have Luke Weaver. You have Jack Flaherty, who we talked about. You know, the Phillies has some interesting young pitchers as well. Uh, you know, I don't think if, if the, they can necessarily match up quite to the pitching depth that the Cardinals have. But Sixto Sanchez is certainly an intriguing guy. Um, you know, you probably want a guy closer to the big leagues as the headliner. Um, so to me, if those are the four teams, I would favor the Cardinals. You know, you also, you know, if you're the Cardinals, you have Carson Kelly, who's blocked by Yadi Molina. So, you know, maybe they'd be more willing to give him up. I think if those are our four teams, guys, it's the Cardinals in the front in terms of what they can put together. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with that, and I do the Cardinals and, and Phillies list. And I think if you're going to make a trade like this, unless the, 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 the pitching prospects or whatever prospects who are you know, farther away are the you know, phenom upper level, and Sixto Sanchez may get there, um, I, the Cardinals just seem to make too much sense. I mean, you, you've, you've even got, you know, Sandy Alcantara, uh, who has been more hittable than you think, but still has electric stuff. Uh, but, you know, this guy touched the big leagues. Uh, Junior Fernandez is the one who's further away, but he's interesting. Dakota, uh, Dakota Hudson made it up to AAA. Uh, you mentioned on the position player side, not, you know, Carson Kelly, but they also have kind of a, an excess of some outfielders. Uh, you know, they, they got Tyler O'Neill last year from the Mariners. They've got Harrison Bader. Uh, you know, they've, they've also got uh, McNurris Sierra, uh, who spent some time in the big leagues. Uh, so they probably have the best wealth of, uh, of talent of those four teams uh, to, to try to get Stanton. 
to me, when you look at those teams as well, and you talk about needs and that kind of thing, obviously the Phillies are at a point where they're still in a rebuild. Stanton would have to, after losing a lot of games in Miami, he would kind of have to agree to continue to lose, at least for, you would think, another year or so before he can get back to winning, and he has to agree to any one of these trades. Giants struggled so much last year. So the two teams that you think can contend right away are Cardinals and Red Sox. But if it comes down to it, the Red Sox look at their outfield. I just feel like there's less pushing them to make a deal like this when they could also just go out and spend money and get J.D. Martinez, whereas the Cardinals probably don't want to spend that kind of money on J.D. Martinez. That's just my uh, two bits as well. I agree with you guys. The Cardinals seem like the front runner. So some random team we're not even talking about will probably swoop in and trade for Giancarlo Stanton. So who knows? But it'll keep things interesting, I would think, at least through the winter meetings. So that's always fun when there's one big overriding storyline around Major League Baseball. All right, speaking of trades, nobody does it like Jerry Depoto. So we should touch on that a little bit before we wrap things up in this podcast. The last two days, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, Jerry Depoto has pulled off two trades, getting the hot stove season started. Uh, he trades... For Ryan Healy, sending Alexander Campos to the A's system, um, the one prospect in that deal. Campos, number 29 now in the A's system. Uh, Jim, you want to touch on him? Or Jonathan, I don't know which of you is more in touch with that. I know it's it's Mike's team, the Mariners. But Alexander Campos, a young, young player. Somebody jump in and give me a, a scouting report on him. Yeah, it's, I can do that. I mean, we both probably could. But I mean, he's, sure. You know, when you say young, young, you're right. I mean, he's, he's 17 years old. He has yet to play in the United States. Um, he was a guy who signed for, for $750,000, or I'm sorry, $575,000. Can't read my own notes. Uh, a year ago in 2016, I think he's more advanced uh, defensively than offensively. Um, you know, has a chance to be a, a pretty good defender, and he's got some speed. You know, how, how much bat, the, how much impact the bat will have. I think will be the big question uh, with that one. But, you know, I, I, I thought that trade made some sense for the Mariners. I mean, there had been talk uh, a little bit ago that uh, that the uh, A's were looking to move Healy just because they had kind of a surplus and they wanted to, you know, shift some guys around and, and somebody had to go to make room. And I think it was just taking an opportunity, you know, give up a reliever in Pagan and then a super young prospect in Campos to get a guy who can probably help them, you know, should help the Mariners immediately in 2018. And then the other deal, Tiago Vieira, the flamethrower from Brazil, goes to the White Sox for international slot money. Uh, Vieira, 24 years old now, Jonathan, but he, he throws. We saw him at the Futures game. I mean, yep. he can really sling it. He can. Uh, the problem is, is that's what kind of all he does. So, uh, you know, command's been an issue. Secondary stuff, not great. Uh, command even got a little worse uh, in, in 2017. Uh, so he's kind of, kind of try to right the ship. Uh, has the, you know, the, the electric stuff you want to see in the back end of the bullpen. But if he can't find the strike zone or, or command his fastball uh, or throw his secondary stuff consistently enough. Uh, then he's kind of going to be one of those guys that we're always talking about, like, wow, what a great arm. Why isn't he less hittable? Uh, why isn't he more successful? Um, you know, after spending time with him, I, I want him to do well. He's a tremendous personality. He joined us uh, at the set at FanFest. But, um, but, yeah, I think, I, I think that 
it's all arm strength right now, and he still has some work to do to, to become enough of a pitcher where he can have value in a big league bullpen. On the Mariners' side of this deal, they get uh, international slot money reported at $500,000. Now, they've been one of the teams that's been rumored to be obviously in on, I mean, everybody's in on Otani, but Seattle has a history, obviously, with having some very good Japanese players, and obviously, as far as travel goes, it's a convenient spot for a Japanese player. Do you think that they make this move just to get a little more international spending money for their run at Otani, Jim? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, they've got, I think, what, a little over, is it $2 million now? A little over no, two with this, it, yes. That, that actually is not correct. No. It's a little over a million and a half. Okay. The original figures that were, were reported out there were, were off. Okay. I'm not so sure they, how that happened, but they're just north of $1.5 million right now. Okay, and then you have the Rangers, Yankees, and Twins, I think, are all over $3 million. Um, I, I guess. I mean, I, I really think with Otani, because nobody's going to have a ton of money to give him. You know, the difference between $3.5 million or a little over three and, and $1.5 million or $1 million, I, I think he's going to pick his team based less on what his bonus is going to be, which we all know is a fraction of what it would be if it were not for these restrictive rules in the new CBA, I think it's going to be on where he feels the most comfortable, where he might have the most marketing opportunities, uh, you know, where he's going to get a chance to play both ways, you know, like everybody seems to think he will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it probably helps a little, but, you know, I, I think, he, I'll put it this way, I think if Otani signs with the Mariners, my guess is he probably would have signed with them for a million dollars if that's all they had versus $1.5 million, I, I can't imagine that that $500,000 is going to be the, you know, that, that's going to be the difference for why he signs with them versus, say, the Rangers or somebody else. Jim, you mentioned uh, the Twins being one of the teams that has the most money. And the reason for that, they voided the contract of Jeffrey Marte, who they signed this summer, uh, $3 million bonus. Jonathan, this was interesting, I think, just because the timing. I mean, they signed him way back uh, in the summer, and then the deal is voided now, I guess, because he didn't get to really take the physical until now. Um, I don't know if you have any extra information on this that, that I haven't seen out there. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure of the timing of it. I, I, I get the sense uh, that perhaps the, the, the decision to, you know, to, to void his contract may have happened a little bit longer ago than right now it's being reported now uh you know which changes things like i don't i don't think they're like oh wait we need to free up money so we can kind of make an unexpected uh play at otani um you, you know or anybody else who might come onto the market uh, i don't i don't think that's what what happened here you know i think it's probably something that they discussed for a while it may have even been decided a while ago just uh, because uh, you know, for a kid who hadn't played an inning of professional baseball, not even in, in you know in a Dominican summer league, um, it, it flew under the radar. All right, Jim. Anything to add on that front? With uh, just the oddness of this move, and and how often do we see deals like that get voided? It's pretty rare, right, Jim? It is. I mean, I think it happens like every couple of years or so. It's not that uncommon. And I agree with Jonathan. It's. It's not like, uh, I don't know, maybe we need to add this to Jesse uh, Sanchez's uh, duties, Jonathan, but, like, nobody really monitors these bonus pools and what's going on with them, and it's it's possible that he could have failed the physical, you know, say, back in July or August, 
and it's really only coming out now because this is a rare off season when we're trying to count every penny that everybody has available for Otani. I mean, I think it's also very possible that if Otani were not a free agent right now uh, and creating all this furor, that we may not even have learned about this, you know, even until a little later. I, I, I think just the fact that we know about it now is unrelated to when it happened, and, and I agree with Jonathan. I certainly don't think the, the, the twins are, are, are conniving and said, hey, how can we get more money? Oh, let's void this contract. I mean, she, we, we heard, and I don't think anybody's saying that, we, we heard that silliness connected with the Astros, like, oh, they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, screw over Brady Aiken so they can sign Mac Marshall, and, and I thought that was ludicrous at that point, too. Especially with Otani, because you know how closely the league is monitoring this entire situation. That there's no way a team would take a chance to do something like that. There'd just be too much uh, as far as repercussions. Especially when what we've seen the Red Sox getting busted a year or a couple of years ago, and what's happened with the Braves this off season. I mean, I think these teams know to uh, to to keep things on the straight and narrow at this point, especially when dealing with Otani. All right. That's going to do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.